Hey everyone, my name is Randall Heyer and I'm the worship arts pastor here at Cochrane Alliance Church. We are so glad that you've come to check out the latest sermon and we pray that you are encouraged, challenged, and ultimately that you are drawn closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Let's get into the message. Let's invite, let's invite Lord Jesus to speak to us by the power of the Spirit within us talking about righteousness. So let me ask you a question. What does a righteous person look like? What comes into your mind if you were to think of a righteous person? Is a righteous person someone who follows all the rules? And if that is a righteous person, then the next question is, what rules do they follow? I think for some people today, the thought of righteousness or even the thought of holiness makes them nervous because what comes into their mind is not biblical righteousness or biblical holiness, but instead they're thinking of a man-made legalistic religion. Perhaps they were raised in it. Perhaps they're still bound to it in some form. You know that legalism that that says, you know, it's a man-made thing, so it would say things like, you can't play cards. You can't go to the movies, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you must do this, you must do this, you must do this, and they go, if that's what following Jesus is all about, I can't do it. Even if I wanted to, I can't. That's a man-made legalism. It's not biblical righteousness. But if we confuse righteousness with legalism, we're going to imagine that righteous people are joyless buzzkills who are bound by their man-made, made-up religious rules. And I think we can kind of trace, you know, when I talk to, to some people, they do, they have this kind of knee-jerk reaction against this idea of righteousness or holiness because they kind of grew up in that, in that place of constantly being told that they weren't doing enough or they weren't good enough or what they were doing was wrong. And, uh, and it wasn't based on biblical principles, it was just based on, you know, their church culture, what their pastor said, it was a man-made thing. And that, that kind of, you know, that type of faith flourished in the 1800s all the way up into like the 1990s. You know, for almost 200 years, we kind of had a, a bent in our churches towards a legalism, towards a man-made religious system. There was a lot of focus on external religious indicators of righteousness, right? What you looked like, right? What you wore to church for a while was kind of a big deal. What you did or especially what you did not do. But the thing with all of that is it almost never led to sincere change in the hearts of the people. They became like the Pharisees of Jesus' day whom Jesus criticized, saying, you are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. That's a big critique. I think that same charge can be leveled against some of those who engage in man-made legalism. They make sure to look good on the outside, but there's filth on the inside. I've met some Christians who, you know, they've never said a, they've ever sworn in their entire life, right? They've never done this, they've never done this, but they're mean, and they're arrogant, and they cut people down with their words, and they think they're righteous, because the external indicators are there, but the fruit of the Spirit is missing. So righteousness, in the way Jesus talks about it, begins inside the heart to change the outside. 
And so often, like the Pharisees, we get that process wrong and we try to act righteous. We try to do things that we think are righteous, that look good or look impressive to the people we're trying to impress, but we're not actually changing internally in the heart. And the heart is where evil or good comes from, says Jesus in Matthew 15, 19. So though I think a bent towards legalism and man-made religion has created an unfavorable view of righteousness or holiness for some people, Jesus is very clear that righteousness and the pursuit of righteousness is what all of us must be after. But there is, as we see with the Pharisees, a right way and a wrong way to pursue righteousness. Jesus says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. One of the blessings of righteousness is that righteous lives allow us to live in right relationship with God and with others. So think of the pursuit of righteousness like this. Let's agree that relationship with God and others makes us fully human. Okay, Good relationship with God, good relationship with others, fully flourishing as a human being. Some attitudes and behaviors damage our relationship with God and with others. Call that sin. The rejection, and okay, sorry, behaviors and attitudes that damage our relationship with God and others need to be rejected so that we can be fully human. That's repentance. And the rejection of destructive behaviors and attitudes to follow new ways of thinking and living that make us fully human is a part of what righteousness is all about. We're going to unpack that as we go through the sermon. But when Jesus is talking about righteousness, what does he mean? Well, just a few sentences later, down in the Sermon on the Mount, remember, we're in the Beatitudes, so this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Just a little bit later, Jesus says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what a difficult thing this would be to hear? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law are the most righteous people the common person has ever seen. These are the guys who are like, if you pick up a pebble on the Sabbath, you're breaking the law. They count their steps on the Sabbath to make sure they don't break the law. They won't even bind up a wound on the Sabbath in case it is working. Nobody is meeting the righteousness that the Pharisees are are meeting. So when Jesus says, you have to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees, people are like, how in the world could we do that? How could that be possible? Well, let's understand first that that Jesus is more interested in the righteousness that's inside. Jesus is after heart transformation and not religious burden. In fact, Jesus tells the Pharisees that they make a religious burden too heavy for any man to bear. Luke 11, 46. And so I'm always cautious when I'm, you know, giving spiritual advice that I'm not making it into a religious burden that is too heavy for any person to bear. So when Jesus says that our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees, he doesn't mean that we need to make extra rules about what we can or cannot do. Jesus means we have to begin to let our hearts be changed. It's a deeper righteousness than the external righteousness of the Pharisees. And because it's deeper, it actually will take us further than the law does. Now when we talk about the law, there's two laws at play in the time of Jesus. You have the law of Moses, the law that was given by God to the people of Israel Through Moses, there's a law of Moses. Then you have the Pharisees who took the law of Moses and said, but what if we accidentally break it? We should be really careful. So they created another set of laws to keep them safe from breaking the law of Moses. 
And so we're kind of, Jesus is talking about kind of two of the laws here. There's the law of the Pharisees and there's the law of Moses. But actually what Jesus does is he takes us deeper than either of those laws. If we're to go further in the Sermon on the Mount, we see that Jesus is going to point out the various minimum standards set in the law of Moses. And then he says, you actually have to go beyond that. So the law says, don't kill. But Jesus says, you shouldn't even stay angry at somebody. The law says, don't commit adultery. But Jesus says, actually, it's not enough to not commit, just not commit adultery. You shouldn't look at anyone lustfully. Jesus says, you shouldn't seek revenge against your enemies. You should find a way to show them and everyone else the love of God. He says you should loan people money without expecting anything in return. You should carry people's burdens and carry it an extra mile if they, if they say go one, go two. Whatever the law says, Jesus says go beyond it. That's, that's actually kind of crazy if you think about it. John Kessler says this. He says ultimately the whole Sermon on the Mount is not a list of toughened rules but it's about urging us to change where our aim is. It's easy to look for what the minimum standard is so that you can just do that, but in every case, Jesus is saying, don't live by the minimum. Don't say to yourself, as long as I don't commit adultery, it's fine to lust. Don't say that as long as I don't kill someone, I can be furious with them forever. And isn't what Jesus is doing setting our hearts free? Not bound by lust, not bound by bitterness and anger. And so Jesus is not giving us a new or harder law to follow. All of the New Testament authors will agree on that, especially the Apostle Paul. So Jesus is not giving us a more difficult law. He's giving us the freedom to receive his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to be empowered to live in a way that will lead to us spiritual flourishing, set free from sin and free from the religious burden of the Pharisees and free to be led by the Spirit to righteousness. So following Jesus is much more than just us trying really hard to be good or moral in our own effort. In Jesus, there is actually the power and the presence of God within us, the Holy Spirit leading us, instructing us, softening our hearts to what God would have us do. And it is by his power at work in us that we can exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees because the Holy Spirit will convict our heart and mind, minds. It's an internal change towards righteousness. Not a focus on looking righteous externally, but making up harder and more strict rules to follow, you know, in some way to prove our pious devotion. Again, we have to get out of that trap. It's about an internal change. It's not about whether your church community thinks you look righteous. It's about what's truly going on on the inside. The Apostle Paul talks about the man-made rules that we kind of get into like this. He says, these rules might seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Like I said, I've met those people who they've probably never missed a Sunday service in their life. They've probably never played a game of cards if that was the tradition they grew up in. But they're mean. And they're bitter. And you go, the fruit of the Spirit simply isn't evident in their life. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no patience. There's no kindness. There's no goodness. There's no self-control. But they've never missed a Sunday. So they do these things that require extreme, pious self-devotion, even extreme bodily discipline but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. 
So following Jesus and becoming like him is all about the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, sanctifying us. That, that simply means making us more like Jesus. And if we become more like Jesus, do you know what happens? We become more like the humans we are always created to be. We sang in our song today, Jesus is the second Adam. For the first Adam failed, Jesus, the new Adam, the second Adam succeeded. And when we live by the power of the Holy Spirit and become like Jesus, we become more like the humans we are always created to be. That's abundant life. That's spiritual flourishing. So the path to abundant life right here and right now comes by placing our faith in Jesus, receiving the presence of the Holy Spirit to live within us and change us from the inside. And so although it seems like Jesus is calling us to this ridiculously high standard, what he's actually doing is he's calling us to freedom. Freedom from dark and destructive desires which hurt us, hurt others, and separate us from God. Jesus is calling us to the freedom to live as fully flourishing humans. We have to keep this in mind. Jesus is doing the work in us. It's all about Jesus It's not about human effort. I I like to think of it like this. Here's my will. Here's the Holy Spirit. If I just try and do things on my own, I kind of die out. I can't do it. I can't sustain it. But when my will joins with the Spirit, now we can move forward. So it's not only about my human effort. It's about me joining with the work of the Spirit, moving where the Spirit is leading me to. That's the Christian life. That's freedom. It's not about human effort. The Apostle Paul, it's so interesting that Mike uh, read that passage because we're going to talk about that passage. But the Apostle Paul, when reflecting on his days as a Pharisee, wrote this. He said, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous, I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. He discarded his works of righteousness in the law. He discarded his pedigree as a Pharisee so that he could gain Christ. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Human effort alone will not allow us to be righteous in the way Jesus is calling us to be righteous. The pursuit of righteousness begins with faith. Faith that through our union with Jesus, we're already made righteous in him. And that because of our faith in him, Jesus will continue to make us more like him. That is, make us more righteous in this life as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. And so this righteousness that Jesus calls us to is not burdensome. It leads us to freedom. And you might be wondering, how does righteousness lead us to freedom? Well, again, I think sometimes people have the wrong idea of righteousness. I think sometimes people view God as this divine being who makes up a bunch of random laws 
simply because he can, and then says, you have to live according to these random laws I make up, just because he demands it. But here's what you need to understand about righteousness. Pursuing righteousness is not for God's benefit. It's for our benefit. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Let me put it like this. We have desires and longings within us that can actually only be fulfilled by righteousness. Righteousness, which is the rejection of destructive behavior and thoughts so that we can embrace the life that God offers. That's peace and joy, compassion, humility, and love. We have all these desires that become twisted by sin in us. We have a desire to love and be loved, and it so often gets twisted to lust. We have a desire to contribute and to to build, and it gets twisted into chasing power or ego. We have these dark desires within us that can only be fulfilled through righteous living. And they're destructive to us and they're destructive to others because they're negative and they're rebellious towards God. And we were never intended to have these sinful desires. These desires which wage war against our souls are a result of sin entering the world and twisting us. So every time we reject sin and embrace righteousness, we become more fully human, what we are always created and intended to be. Scripture puts it like this. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. And this righteous living is freedom because we were never created to be ruled by our desires, which are often selfish, destructive and hurtful. We were made for much more than to be ruled by our desires. You ask someone, do you, do you want to be ruled by lust or do you want to be loved and loved fully? I mean, they want to be loved and loved fully, but the only way to get there is through the work of Christ. We were created to be in relationship with God where he rules us, but he is good and he is love and he wants us to flourish into everything we were created to be. So as we talk about the Holy Spirit moving us to righteousness that even exceeds the standards of the law, there's something we cannot forget in all of this pursuit, and that is grace. And I want to bring grace in here because, again, I never want to make a religious burden too heavy for you to bear, and grace is the key. The pursuit of righteousness without a reliance on God's grace will not work because we're not yet made perfect. That happens in eternity. And as we pursue holiness in this life, we have to have a reliance on grace because in this life, no matter how mature you are in the faith, there will always be moments when you miss the mark, when you react poorly to a situation or to a person, when you give in to an old habit or a new temptation rises up and you, you succumb to it. And so as we speak on the abundant life found in righteousness, we have to remember the importance of God's grace at work, his grace always and continuously working in us. Because those who seek righteousness without understanding grace tend to become legalistic, hypocritical, and paranoid. Never sure if they're doing enough. Not sure if others are measuring up. And so we need grace in our thirst for righteousness. Or we will become like the Pharisees, trying to do it all on our own effort, trying to measure up in our own works. So let's understand what grace is really briefly here. Paul Zoll writes this, That grace is love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. Grace is being loved when you're unlovable. 
Grace is a love that has nothing to do with you, the beloved. It has everything and only to do with the lover. Of course, you are the beloved and God is the lover. You wonder, is that definition affirmed by Scripture? Yes. Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's, let's think about this. While you shook your fist in rebellion to God, he said, I love you and I'm going to die for you. While you were in the depths of your sin, whatever it was, however depraved you think it was, God said, I see you, I love you, I'll die for you. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. We didn't deserve it or earn it or work hard to achieve it. It was given. That's grace. And grace is our continual need as we hunger and thirst for righteousness because grace is not a one-time event. Sometimes I work with people and, and it's almost like they saw grace as the, the thing that got them in the door of the Christian faith. I'm, I'm, in, the, I'm in the church now. I, I did my sinner's prayer. I relied on the grace of God. Now I gotta work real hard to stay here. Like that's never gonna work for you. Grace is flowing continuously in the life of the believer because we're not perfect. There are gonna be times in this journey, in this life, on this earth that you will need to repent of something you said or did that was wrong. And God's grace is continual and always available for those who repent. That means you confess what you've done wrong and you receive forgiveness from Jesus. When you are in a church family that doesn't understand grace, you tend to live in the darkness. You hide your sin because it's not safe to confess it. But can I tell you that if we live like that, we will never find full freedom. We have to be ready to bring our sin into the light before God and even sometimes before others so we can be set free. Not so we can be shamed or condemned, but so that we can live into the righteous life, the abundant life that Jesus has called for us. And it's always available. The Apostle John writes, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And in 1 John 1, 9, John says that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you don't need to pretend to be better than you are. You don't need to hide your sin in the darkness. You do have to bring it into the light and trust that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from unrighteousness. It's okay to need to rely on God's grace. We don't go out of our way to sin so that grace may abound, but we are definitely in error if we begin to rely on our works of righteousness to prove our faith. Because if we rely on our righteousness, we will miss the abundant life in Christ. Because the foundation of our faith then shifts and it becomes about us and our good work, not Christ and his finishing work. So it's not about what we have done. It's always about what Jesus has done for us. As Paul says in his letter to Titus, when God saved, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through Christ our Savior. So let's just, we're going to take just a really brief moment here before we close because I want to explain something about about following Jesus in the way of the Spirit 
that supersedes the law. The law of Moses cannot save. Paul says it is powerless to save. Paul actually writes this. He says, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. See, if we could keep the law, the good law of God, if we could keep it, we wouldn't need a savior. We just have to try harder to follow the law better, but we can't. Our sin nature is such that we can never fully meet the requirements of the law. This is what the Apostle Paul explains to the Galatians. The Apostle Paul is clear that the law on its own is not as good as the Spirit's work in leading us to obey the law and even exceed the law. Here's what he says to some Christians. This is happening in the church in Galatia. Some of the Jewish believers came in after Paul and they said, you know what, it's, it's good you believe in Jesus, but you also have to follow all the Jewish law and custom." Otherwise, you're not a real believer. And they kind of fell for it. And they said, okay, I guess, I guess we've got to be fully Jewish and, and obey um, and follow Jesus as well. And, and here's what Paul writes to them. He says this, O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? It's like some pretty harsh language right there. Like they're just trying to follow the Jewish believer's way of life. And he's like, you're, you're under like an evil spell. What has gone on with you? For the meaning of Christ's death was made clear to you. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. Just Can you pause for a moment there? Those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not obey all the commands that are written in God's book of law. And Paul goes on, he says, so it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. And Paul's presenting it, he's like, you've got two options. You can try and obey the law, but if you mess up even once, you're cursed, you're gone, you're out. Or, or you can have faith in Christ who supersedes and exceeds and is the fulfillment of the law. And so Paul assures us that we will live righteous lives not by obeying the letter of the law but in the new way by the Spirit. His exact words are this. We have been released from the law for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. So to be clear, the problem is not with the law, the problem is with us. The law is good, but we cannot on our own meet the requirements of the law. But that is why the great gift of the Holy Spirit was given, filling us. So we can live not even up to the standards of the law, but even beyond it. We can exceed it. No longer will it be enough to say, I don't commit adultery. Now the Spirit will say, you're lusting. And in that way, he sets you free. Because you don't want to go around being filled with lust. And the Spirit sets you free. Only by the Spirit can we exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And so those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are filled because it is by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit, that they're led to righteousness. 
And so as we close today, I just want to spend some time talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in helping us walk towards righteousness. If you want to know why, you know, the alliance as a denomination is pursuing renewal, it's not because we just want to see, you know, miracles and wonders. Of course we want to see that. And I've seen it. But you know what's even better? Is seeing a whole church filled with people who want to walk in the ways of the Spirit and have the fruit of the Spirit produced in their life. Imagine coming into a church where everyone is at peace with one another. Imagine coming into a church where everyone is filled with joy in the Lord. Imagine coming into a church where there's no critical spirit, but a spirit of love and acceptance and mutual understanding and submission to one another. You don't get there unless the Holy Spirit has control of you. We read in Scripture, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. The Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. So you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So it's the Holy Spirit that helps us put off the old life with its destructive behaviors, thoughts, attitudes, and words, and put on the new life in Christ full of peace and joy and kindness and patience and gentleness and self-control. This is the spiritual faith side of Christianity. We believe the Holy Spirit will make us a new creation, will wash us and make us clean and will lead us out of destructive behavior and into new life with Jesus. And I can't fully explain this process except to say millions of people around the world have experienced radical life change by the power of the Spirit at work within them. And so if I, if I could ask you for a moment, can you just take time to reflect on the work of God in your life? How has following Jesus changed the trajectory of your life? How has your relationship with God and with others been impacted by the power of the Spirit at work in you? And where would you be without the working of the Spirit in your life? Without the conviction of the Spirit, I'd be a mess. I would have made a mess of my life. I know it. Maybe you know that too. But it wasn't anything I did externally that changed me. It was the power of God at work within me by his spirit and still at work within me. Now maybe you're here today or listening today and you're not sure if you want to follow Jesus yet, but what I'd invite you to do is think about the promise of a changed life. What happens when you place your faith in Jesus? It's not just trying hard to be a better person, but it's the the literal power and the presence of God within you, working on your heart with you, making you a new creation. If that's the life you want to pursue, if you want to leave behind dark and destructive thoughts and behaviors, I invite you to come talk to me or one of the pastoral staff after the service. And what we find as we walk in step with the Spirit is we are made full, free of destructive words, thoughts, and actions, and, and living the way we are always meant to live. Joy is found in the forgiveness of Jesus. Our hearts are filled when our longing for righteousness is fulfilled by the Spirit's work at us, in us. So the one great truth of the Christian life is this, that although we still make mistakes and need to rely on the grace of God, we are already righteous in his sight because Jesus makes us righteous through faith in him. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture, Hebrews 10, 14. By one sacrifice, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You know why I love this? Because it gets across what's actually happening in the Christian life. Right now, you're righteous because your union with Christ makes you righteous. You are clean, you are righteous, you are seated with him in the heavenly places, but 
You're not there in heaven yet, so you are in the process of being made holy. I love that. And so as we repent, and that means turn away from those destructive patterns of thought and behavior, we find our thirst is quenched. Our souls are filled by the presence of God and all that he gives to us. I mean, that's, that's when I talk about repentance, I'm saying, do you want to keep being ruled by your desires? Or do you want to live free? And to be the person filled with love and joy and peace and kindness and patience and goodness and self-control. I'm going to call the worship team up. And I'm going to uh, just read a passage of scripture and then, and then lead us in a couple of questions. But I want to get across to you today, and I hope I did, is that righteousness is not a burden. It's freedom. And we are righteous because Jesus gives us his righteousness. Paul says, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. And so I want to end by asking you just a couple questions. Is there something that's robbing you of living out the righteous life in Christ you have received? Is there something in your life today you need to confess and repent of to walk freely and abundantly into the life Jesus has called you? Randall had asked earlier if we'd had a word for anyone. And the only thing that kept going through my head is a critical spirit. And so maybe one of the things that somebody, maybe all of us need to repent of is is having a critical spirit towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. A spirit that says, my way or no way. A spirit that says, I won't submit. We just need to lay that before the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, would you make us like Jesus? Holy Spirit, would you allow us to love one another? Would you allow us to bear with one another in love? Love overlooks a multitude of sins in the body. So maybe there's something like that you need to lay down today. The second question I have is maybe for those who haven't yet committed to following Jesus. And so I want to ask, is there an inner voice tugging at you today to place your faith in Jesus? If you have a sense, maybe you haven't yet you know, committed to a life of faith and following Jesus, but you sense today that there's a call in your heart, I really would ask that you'd come and talk to me after the service or one of the pastoral staff, and we can just talk to you about what that would look like. Let's worship together.